0: So in high school, uh, one of my best buddies got a couple of paintball guns, which is awesome. It's awesome. And so one of the first things we did, it was summer and we were bored. So we went down to the river. Now I grew up in Cincinnati, so I'm not talking about going down to the Ohio River. That'd be ridiculous. We went to the little Miami River because that's where the canoers are. Yes, indeed. So we get down, and uh, we're in like full camo. They can't see us. We're on the side, and we we're waiting for some dudes drinking beer, right? So canoeing, right? And so uh, they they come along eventually. And I'll tell you what. One of the things I I grew up doing a lot of canoeing. I love it. I do a lot of kayaking now because it's so peaceful. The sound of a paintball hitting a metal canoe is glorious. I'll tell you, what, like, I mean, you can just imagine that just tank, tank, that we are painting by numbers, lighting them up. And so they, of course, turn, they're cranking at the oars coming at us. We're going to get you kids. Uh, we jump in my buddies, rusted out Honda Civic wagon and take off out of there. So we go a few hundred yards downstream and set up again. Now, the key to this is you can't hit any canoe you got to wait for the same canoe, right? Because you can just imagine, right? Like, that. what the heck? Ha- I've never had that before. Well, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> tank, tank, tank. Like, we're just lighting them up. They're cranking for sure again. Yeah, we're going to go again. We jump in that Honda and we're out of there. So we go a few hundred yards downstream and uh, we set up again. Now, in this case, you got to understand, like it's one of those bends where the river has eroded out the side, right? So where it's kind of like water's surface down there, about 12 feet up, a little mini cliff kind of thing. Again, we're we're dug in in full camo; they they can't see us, right? But in this case, that canoe is coming down right along the edge of the river where we are. Maybe they're getting wise to it, right? And they're going to try to get us. That's what we thought at first. So we're hold fire, like let them pass. We'll shoot them in the back, like any brave person, right? So. But they don't pass us. They stop right in front of us. Again, they can't see us. They stop right there. Like, why are they stopping? If you've ever been canoeing and need to relieve yourself, so, because remember the little cliff area, right? So we're up on top. This guy gets out of the canoe, and I'm in a, he's like, I could reach out and touch his head, and he doesn't know I'm here. My buddy's over there. Now, I'm thinking this is a good time to hold fire. My friend disagrees. And so as soon as this guy is let's say exposed he gets painted where no man wants painted right like and and well we had to get out of there we had to buy some time right and so we out of, we're done for the day so that that was one of my high school experiences uh okay now listen first of all I want to be clear I'm not saying that was right there was a lot wrong with that don't do this at home whatever like no it's it was it was not right but here's a question why would I do something and I think in part, it's because I crave adventure. I crave mission. You crave adventure and mission. You were made by God for mission. God didn't create you so that you could come to church and try not to cuss. And that, that's, for a lot of us, that's Christianity. You were made for more. Think about this. Why did Jesus leave you here? Like at the moment of salvation, when you say, I, I want Jesus in my life, why not? I just beam you right up and go to heaven immediately. Why leave you here? You know, we'll sell for sanctification, pastor, so we can grow in Christ. Do you know how inefficient that is? Like before you come to Christ, you're at zero percent. When you go home to glory, you will be at a hundred percent in a, in a resurrected body on a new earth. Okay. On this fallen planet, you'll get from zero to around 0.001%. For you holy people, 0.002. Okay. Like it's like wildly inefficient. So why did he leave us here? What if he left us here so that we could be on mission? And that's the series that we're going to be getting into for about a month. To be on mission with God, because you were made for mission and adventure. You were made for more. And Jesus knew this. Jesus was quite on mission. You know how the end of uh, the gospel of Matthew ends? You know how that ends? So, Jesus is crucified, he's buried, he's resurrected. He ministers to them for a little while, and he's about to ascend and leave them on their own. And the, so the last thing he says to them, last couple of verses in Matthew, right here. And Jesus came up and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the mission. And that's what he gave to us as his disciples. That is why we are still here, to go and make disciples. Now, notice it doesn't say make better disciples, It says make disciples, it's connected with baptism. So this is us going out on mission into the world to help those who don't know Jesus become disciples. And then once they do, yes, we teach them all that he commanded us. And good news, Jesus is with us always. That passage is called the great co-mission. That's a mission statement. That's our mission right there. And it is co-mission because we're on mission with God. Jesus is with us always. This is the great Commission. And this stuff is all over the Bible. One of the problems I had in preparing for this sermon is I, I had to boil it down to not too many passages, which I probably failed, But because but, uh, it's just so all over the Bible. Like, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Okay, pause there. That's the gospel, right? That's it. That's what he's done for us. But look what it says next. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. That's the mission. That's the mission. And you see, he gave it to us. He entrusted the message to us. We're supposed to be his ambassadors representing him to a world that doesn't know him. He speaks through us in that moment. That's our job to go implore people to like we have experienced to be reconciled to God. That's our job. That's the mission. Now, with that hanging in the background, one of the things I, I've seen that a lot of you, particularly ladies, you'll see why in a second, uh, because of how this is worded, but uh, a lot of you have posted this meme on social media. Maybe you've seen this. Be the kind of woman that when your feet hit the floor each morning, the devil says, oh, crap, she's up. <laughs> Don't you love that? I, yeah, you can dude it. It's translated. Be the kind of dude that when, like, we, we get that. We love that. Here's the thing. I don't think the devil says crap. There are more honest versions of this. I couldn't use on Sunday morning, right? But uh, I prefer them. But but like it's, yeah, I don't think he says crap. But we do, we love that quote. For men and women, we absolutely love that quote. Here's the thing. That's not gonna happen because your Christianity is of the brand that what you do is you try to leverage God to give you good stuff. You're trying to leverage God to give you a perfect family. You're trying to leverage God to give you the American dream. If that's how you're living out Christianity, do you really think the devil cares that you're up? Do you think he's threatened that you're up in the morning? Oh no, what am I gonna do? No way, no way. Why would the devil say, oh crap, she's up? It's because you are one who is living on mission with God. And that's who we want to be. That's who, we, that's who I want to be. That's who I want you to be. And I'll tell you what, that's who I want Redemption Chapel, our church, to be. And this is something that God has been laying on my heart lately because I've noticed there's some other churches in the area that are starting to get their legs. It's kind of a good thing. Listen, uh, it was for a while... Some churches were hurting and and dwindling, and it was like Redemption Chapel was the one really growing church in the area. Now there are some other churches that are getting their legs. Is that a good thing? Of course, you gave me the Sunday school answer. Good for you, right? Yes, of course, kingdom. We're not competitors. We're all on the same team. Okay, but now let me tell you the truth. The reality is there is a tendency among churches to compete because it is simple math. There are only so many Christians in the area, and every church wants to grow. Think about that. Do the math, right? Only so many Christians, every church wants to grow. We are naturally in competition. So here is how the game works. Ready for this? What we do is we try to do church just a little bit better than them. And as a result, then we will get more Christians here. And as a result, Christians then will give, and then we'll have more money. And with more money, we can hire more staff. And with more staff, you know what we can do? We can do church a little bit better than them. More Christians, more givers, more money, more staff, do it better, et cetera, et cetera. And that is called the church growth game. I want to call it the church gross game. And after explaining it to you, I want to take a shower because it's gross. And I had to think like, is that the church I want to be? Is that how I want to lead Redemption Chapel to play that game? So I started thinking, where is there really no competition? Like, Where is there plenty to go around? Non-Christians, no competition there. Plenty to go around. So surprisingly, if we're on mission with God, we're not in competition with other churches. You see that? A lot of churches don't go there. But I'll tell you what, if Redemption Chapel is going to be known for something in this area, I pray that we are not known for doing church a little bit better. I pray that we are known for watching Jesus write countless stories of redemption for messy people like us. Let us be known for that, right? That's the church I want to be. What, what, if, what if Redemption Chapel stood out? Because if God was working in somebody's life in this area, drawing them to himself, and he said, I got to connect them with a the church, he goes, I got to get them connected with Redemption Chapel. We're the first to his mind. That's who I want to be being on mission with God. And so we have, we have certain values as a church. Uh, you might not have seen them. They're on our website. You can look at this list of values. Here's one of those values. It's that we reach out. And it's described this way. It would be the height of selfishness to keep the gospel to ourselves. We love the people around us, so we continually reach out to them, wanting them to connect with God as we have. Thus, we aim to grow by transformations, not transfers. That's different. That's different. I mean, folks, think of it this way. You, you, you love last week the redemption story, watching Jalil and Amanda share there. We you love those redemption stories, right? You love the baptism Sundays, right? Where do you think that comes from? That's from being on mission. We love the fruit of being on mission. You see, we were made for it. We were made for mission. And the mission isn't just this right here on a Sunday morning. Uh, These times are good. They're they're God-honoring. They're important. But these are huddles. And the play is out there. Okay? Uh, So, that's a football analogy. All of you are football fans because the Super Bowl's next week. So, uh... I I get that like a lot of you probably don't watch the Super Bowl, but but how many of you just want to see the halftime show, right? Not me, I could not care. But um how many of you just want to see the commercials? Right? There you are, there you people, I get it, right? Okay, well, uh how many of you just tune into to a football game because really what you want to watch is the huddle. No one? I, I steal this from Dr. Tony Evans, who noted that people don't go to a football game to watch them huddle. They go to a football game to see after they break huddle, can they go up to the line and make a play? Can they make a difference? This is a huddle. And the question is, not how do we do in the huddle, but after we say break and we have a benediction and then we go out into the world, can we make a difference? Can we be on mission with God? So that's the series we're rolling into. It's on mission. There are going to be four weeks. Aware. Aware. Prayer, care, share. That's what we're gonna get into. Now, let me just say up front, I I know as soon as I go here, y'all get nervous because uh, this is an area where we as Christians know we should be more active uh, and we feel like we want to, but we feel guilty. We don't know what to do. We feel awkward. And so we're gonna be intentional about being very practical and, and, and giving you not just the ought to, but the how to. Okay, so not only in these four sermons, there'll be a a webpage with resources. There'll be five emails going out throughout this year because this will be an emphasis for 2023. Emails going out, highlighting things. There's gonna be a display in the atrium. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. We wanna help you apply this. Now, it's basically a simple process of the last three, prayer, care, share, but I think it's all hinged on today's topic, aware. If we're not aware, it's not going to work. So let's talk about aware. I don't think we live aware of the mission of God. Not usually. And the reason why is because laundry needs done again, right? And the car started making some noise, Right? One of the kids came home from school, very grumpy, like something happened there and I got to figure that out. And community groups coming over this weekend to our house and the house is a mess and it needs clean. And all this stuff is going on and we get mission drift. We get pulled off mission. And so we downshift into, well, I guess I'll just go to church and try not to cuss. And then we think, man, is this all there is to Christianity? Is that it? No. No, there's far, far more. And Jesus knew there was more. Jesus was very aware of the eternal realities. And we see that in Matthew 25. Here's what he said. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus lived with that reality screaming in his face. That awareness was driving him. That's why he was so on mission. That's why he would die for the mission. But I'll tell you what, a lot of us will all die for God. Great, will you live for him? sometimes that's harder. And Jesus not only died for the mission, but he lived it out. You see it, look, here's Matthew chapter nine. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now notice some things there. Number one, Jesus knew the eternal realities that were coming. We already talked about that. He knew that some people were basically the walking dead, like zombies, like they're alive, but not really. They're they're actually dead, but they're walking around. He knew that eternity was at stake. And my question is, can you start to see, can you be aware, can you start to see the people around you that way, that they are people who are headed to one of two eternal destinations? Jesus saw that. And so what he did is he went out on mission to go connect with people. Notice he didn't stay in his hometown and say, y'alls come to me. But he went town to town, village to village, connecting with them. And when he did, he saw them. And when he saw them, he had compassion on them. Because Jesus is a pretty smart dude. And he didn't buy the lie that the crowds were okay apart from God. That's the lie that people out there are exporting. No, I'm all right. And we buy that lie, but that's a lie. People are made in God's image. People are made for connection with God, but they're fallen. They have a broken relationship with God. They got shame and guilt hanging all over them. They're alienated from their maker. They're like a fish out of water living life. And their destiny is hell. Don't you buy the lie that they're okay? So Jesus looked at them and his heart broke. He had compassion on them. And so what he did is he proclaimed the gospel. That's what it says. Now, the gospel, that means Jesus believed the gospel is good news. That's what gospel means. You know that. It just means good news. If we're honest, we think it's news. We don't think it's that good anymore. We don't think people really want it anymore. You got to know, some people will will reject it. That's true. But there are a lot of people out there that aren't rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting Christian religion. They think it's the same, and it's not. And they have not heard the gospel. And if they do, they want forgiveness. And they want reconnection with God. They want the kingdom life. They know they're a mess. And they want help. Jesus believed the gospel is good news. And so he proclaimed it. Notice it doesn't say he lived it. He did that. But it's a message that takes proclaiming. And so he proclaimed the gospel. And he not only did it himself, but then he ends by saying, oh, and by the way, the mission's gonna be yours. It's not gonna be him getting, he said, hey, pray that the Lord raises up you all to send out into his harvest. He gave the mission to us. Now, yes, laundry still needs done. We gotta live life, I get this, but this ought to weigh in to our Christian discipleship. And sometimes, shockingly, it doesn't. Are we aware enough to be on mission with Jesus? And sometimes in order to get us there, what we need is an atheist to call us out. Not kidding. So, so you know, Penn and Teller, great illusionist magicians. I love watching those guys. They're, they are amazing. So gifted, uh, blow your mind kind of acts. It's crazy. Penn, his last name's Gillette. Pen Gillette, he is a uh, very well-known and outspoken atheist. After one of their shows, uh, one guy went up to him with a little Gideon Bible. Have you seen those little green things, New Testament Psalms? Wrote a note to Penn in the front flap and gave it to him as a gift. Now, Penn knew as an atheist, he knew this guy's proselytizing is the word he used. Uh, he's doing evangelism. He's trying to convert Penn. And here's how he responded. Watch this.
1: And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really... and atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Sometimes
0: you need need an atheist to call us out. I seriously... Do we actually believe that stuff or not? In fact, with that question hanging in the air, that's why the famous British preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, don't be misunderstanding that. To be a missionary in this case doesn't mean that you have to quit your job and go overseas. That's not it. It's mean that it means that you're so aware of the eternal realities that you put your faith in that you are on mission with God. Missionary, you're on mission with God. That's what it means. And every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. An imposter Listen, I, I, my fear is that we don't live out being a missionary very often. In fact, instead, I think what we're usually doing is chatting with zombies. Let me explain what I mean by that. If someone doesn't belong to Jesus, she or he is dead. That's the truest thing uh, about them. There are other things that are true about them, uh, She might be an incredible musician or he might be the funniest person you know. Or you know what? That person might be the nicest person in our city, nicer than all of you. But that's not the truest thing about them. The truest thing about them is their spiritual, eternal condition and they are dead. That's the truest thing. And so what they need most, not the only thing they need, but what they need most is not... Somebody to chit chat with them about sports and movies and music and golf swings, parenting, vacations, chatting with zombies. They're dead. They desperately need Jesus, they need resurrection. They need a savior. They need to know the gospel. But we don't see it that way. We act like they're not dead. And that's because they're not a corpse in the ground. They're a a corpse that's walking around still on earth. They're like a zombie, right? And so what we find ourselves doing then is chit-chatting with them about sports and music and movies and parenting and the golf swing. We find ourselves chatting with zombies. Any Walking Dead fans in here? Come on now. I am. I'm a season behind, so don't, don't be spoiling it for me, okay? Right? Uh, I want you to imagine Daryl going to the front gate where the zombies are reaching through, and, and what he does is he just stands there chatting with them about a golf swing. That's absurd, right? I mean, one of the absurdities is... <laughs> Uh, the analogy breaks down a little bit because they're actually trying to eat us. Like, that's not, a, that's not true of our mission, okay? So that, that part's a little different, Okay, right? Just set that part aside for a second. But imagine the absurdity of just trying to chat with a zombie about the Browns. And that's what we do. We just chat with them. Now, granted, it is both and not either or. You get that, right? I don't want to do a false dichotomy, right? They're human, And we talk about human things. They might be parents. We're parents, right? And so we might talk about parenthood. That's okay. That's part of it. That is okay. But the problem is that we only chat about those things. And we don't inject Jesus into it. And the person is dead. And they need a savior. Savior. We've got to be on mission with God. We're, we're Actually, what I think we're doing when we say, well, it's both and, I think we're actually rationalizing. We're defending the position that we can talk about other stuff and then we only talk about other stuff. And we, if we're honest, we almost never talk about Jesus. And we're chatting with zombies. That's a problem. So I think we need to be more aware so that we can be on mission. And and I'm going to give you some ways to go after that. Number one, I want you to fish with a net. Fish with a net. Listen, Jesus, we read earlier, he saw the crowds. That means he saw everyone, okay? He didn't just have tunnel vision to his family members, tunnel vision to his best friends that don't know Jesus. He saw everyone. Another way to talk about that is fishing with a net, not with a pole. And you'll see that in Matthew chapter 4. Verses 18 and 19. As while he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, there it is. There's the mission. I told you, it's all over the scriptures. That's the mission that he gives us. Come be fishers of men. And we say, okay, Jesus, and we grab our pole. But they were net fishermen. Casting a net means that you cast it broadly, that it is everyone, everywhere, all the time, because we're on mission, we're aware, we can see what's really going on, that they're headed for hell, and we care about that. We don't just pull fish, right? We want to pull fish. So God says, Hey, um, come fishing with me for men. And we go, Okay, yes. So we grab a pole. And when I pull fish, what I want to do is I want to tell God where he should be working instead of going where he is working. And so uh, maybe you have a wayward adult child. So you're going to pull fish just for that individual. And I get it. You care about them. But maybe God isn't working there yet. Maybe God isn't drawing that person. But we're so committed, and so what we do is we push and we argue with them and we nag and we cajole and we're so we guilt them and we get into all this crap, all this guilt stuff. And we can turn them off to the God who loves them. Because we're pole fishing meanwhile meanwhile at work or one of my neighbors there is somebody God is so preparing and they're so hurting and they're so hungry but I'm ignoring them because I've determined where God should be working and God says fish with a net not with a pole everyone everywhere all the time casted broadly what that means and this is great I love this that means that you will end up talking to interested people about Jesus doesn't that sound fun? right Listen, the mission is not, the mission will never be to talk to uninterested people, to push Jesus on uninterested people. That's not the mission. If you you fish with a net, you go talk to the people who are interested. But you gotta fish broadly. So, fish with a net. Now, secondly, in the shadows of our church. So I got to wondering. Spent some time with the Lord on this. How many people in the shadows of our church don't know Jesus? In fact, they've never heard the gospel. They've heard Christian religion and they think they know it, but they don't know what it's about. They've rejected not Jesus, but Christian religion. How many people within the shadows of our church? Listen, I know a lot of them, if we give them the gospel, I know a lot of them will reject it, but at least I want to give them a shot. Like, I don't want to get home to Jesus and found out we were asleep on our watch. I want to be on mission. All right, time out. I baited you in. Uh, the building never does evangelism. You know that, right? Do an experiment with me. I want everybody to be dead silent right now. Don't make a sound. Don't make a noise. Listen. That's the the sound of the building sharing the gospel. That's all it does. The building never does evangelism. And, And so the good news is that the building isn't the church. When I said people who live in the shadows of the church, I'm guessing you pictured our building casting a shadow on the properties around us. We all did, let's be honest. But the building isn't the church. You are not seated in the church. You are seated as the church. And so what I'm talking about is 1,500 shadows that walk throughout Stowe in the surrounding communities, casting shadows on lives. And so when I talk about people who fall in the shadows of our church, I'm talking people in the shadows of your life. How many of them have never had the opportunity to say yes or no to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And is your evangelism as silent as the building? That'd be the tragedy. Who falls in the shadow of your life? Listen, Jesus didn't just give the mission to pastors. And he sure didn't give it to a building. He gave it to you. And if he wanted me to share the gospel with him, he'd have put them in the shadow of my life, but he didn't. He put that person in the shadow of your life. And he expects you to be the missionary there, to be on mission, to own the mission. So that's what I mean by in the shadows of the church. Now, what you might need to do for that to happen is thirdly, you might need to build a sphere of influence. One of the things I want you to do this week is to consider your life and examine where is it that I interact with non-Christians? I didn't say the unchurched because we don't want to get them to church, we want to get them to Christ. So where is it in my life that I rub shoulders with non-Christians? And one of the things you might find is that You don't. You might be fully in the bubble and insulated from the world around us. And you might have to intentionally build that sphere. I had to. Our kids grew up going to public school. And when they did, they had friends, who had parents. We had lots of interactions with non-Christians. It worked wonderfully. Okay, so note from that, if you choose homeschooling or private school, you might be choosing a wonderful option for education. But just be aware, you've already taken one of the things off the board. So you might have to build a sphere, okay? I had that. And then my kids graduated. And I lost that. Oh, by the way, I should point out, all of my coworkers are Christians. <laughs> I think. There's one guy. No, that's not true. Okay. <clears throat> I'm in the bubble. Boom, like that. I got nothing. And I looked at my life and I said, you know what? The mission isn't here. The mission's out there, but I'm not out there. That's when I became a police chaplain. I intentionally built a sphere. I'm going to tell you something. That gives me an ability to be out in the community rubbing shoulders with people who are non-Christians. Do you know my life? I got no time for that. I'm not going to get home to Jesus and tell him, I'm sorry, I I was too busy doing Christian ministry to be on mission with you. Do you see how ridiculous that is? No way. This week, I want you to examine your life. Where is it that you rub shoulders with non-Christians and you might need to take advantage of those opportunities, or you might realize the answer is nowhere, and you, like me, have to build a sphere. It might be that uh, where you work out at home, or whatever, and you go, wow, you know what? I'm gonna start going to that gym. I'm gonna start to do things differently so that I intentionally rub shoulders and I can be aware and I can get on mission. So there's some suggestions. Now, uh, aware, prayer, care, share. Listen, I want you to know, aware is key. I think what happens a lot of times as pastors is we get these strategies. Prayer, care, share is a strategy. Okay, And we've got other ones, and people just don't get on board. And so what we do, okay, well, maybe we'll do another strategy. We'll do friendship evangelism. We'll do uh, servant evangelism. We'll do evangelism explosion and go door to door. We'll do an evangelistic event, and you can invite your friends to that. Or we'll have an invite your friends Sunday at church. We'll do a booth at the community festival. What's our strategy? Just keep trying them until some sticks. And what we find out is our people aren't aware. And if your people aren't aware, none of that's going to work. If if there's not lordship, if they're not on mission, if they don't see the people as dying, the strategy doesn't matter. But if we can get to a point where we are aware and then we say yes to Jesus' mission, the rest is details. It's going to work out. Do we love God, love people enough to just get her done and tell them about Jesus? And I'll tell you what. If we can get a congregation of 1,500 there, oh, look out, it's going to be unstoppable. But if not, then we'll just be rearranging deck chairs on a sinking ship. It's just not going to matter. We're stalled out in the water. In fact, saying that uh, makes me think of the Titanic. I I want to end by talking about that. Why is that funny? (laughs) Maybe you know some facts about the Titanic. Uh, There were 2,200 passengers. 1,500 died. Only 700 lived. Now, the main problem was not just that the Titanic sank. You know, that ocean liner back in the day hit an iceberg, went down in freezing water. The main problem, there were were only 20 lifeboats. That was half enough. We learned some things about ocean liners at that point. But the real problem was when they launched 20 lifeboats, they were all half full. Now, a lot of people got life jackets, jumped in. So they didn't drown. They were bobbing in the water, shouting, help me, help me. And 20 lifeboats rode away. Because they were safe. Because they were saved. And they didn't want to put themselves at risk by going on mission. And so when the funeral ships came from Nova Scotia three days later, they found 328 people bobbing in the water, frozen to death. They didn't die because the Titanic sank. They died because the saved people didn't give a rip to go back. And I want to turn the ships around. I want to go back for them. And I hope you'll join me on mission this year. Let me pray for that. Father... It is crazy to me that you chose us to be your children, but let alone to entrust your mission to us. And I know that is by grace as well. And we are so often drifting off mission. We want to ask you to make us aware, to put us on mission this year, that we would join you on that wild, wonderful adventure. And we pray for that in Christ's name.